Welcome to Magic Kids. This week's story is a very special Christmas story called Joy to the World, the untold story of old Saint Nick. <laughs> Written by Bradley T. Morris and Albert Strasser. Not only that, it's also Magic Kids' first ever feature-length audio story. If you'd love to own the illustrated book version of it for next Christmas, then head on over to magickids.com, that's M-A-J-I-K, kids.com, and get on our email list to be notified. And while you're there, check out all the other amazing Magic Kids stories that we have to offer. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the story. Hello there, my name is Niklaus. Well, you probably know me as Old Saint Nick, or what is it the young folks are calling me these days? Santa Claus! Oh yes, Santa Claus, that's it. You may be surprised that I am for the first time in my long life stepping into the spotlight. The elves, reindeer, and I have preferred doing our work in secret, but now, well, we find ourselves in quite a predicament. And so I've decided to come forward just this once, in hopes that we can save Christmas. You see, we need your help. The spiritometer is at an all-time low. Tell them what the spiritometer is! Right. The spiritometer is a magical device that measures the positive energy on the planet, which is generated by the goodwill, generosity, and joy of humanity. My team and I here at the North Pole depend on this energy to do everything we do, because it is, as I'm sure you already know, the energy of magic, and magic is central to our entire operation. Unfortunately, in recent years, the generosity and goodwill of humanity has gotten lower and lower, and our spiritometer tells us that this year it's so low that, unless things change, we will not have enough magic to make our trip around the world for Christmas. Now, you really mustn't blame yourselves for this tricky situation we find ourselves in. It has been caused not by you or by any individual, but rather by a cascade of collective events that began long before you were born. Let's see, where should I begin? At the beginning. Ah, the beginning, yes, of course. Well, our story starts, I suppose, when I was born a long, long time ago. It all began with a particular toy company that my relatives created long, long ago. Kringle Incorporated. They are who raised me. My aunt and uncle Kringle, that is. I never knew my actual parents. You see, my mother passed away when I was born, and my father passed shortly afterward from grief, my aunt and uncle told me. We lived in an enormous mansion on a large estate outside a beautiful city which my relatives were said to own almost half. Yes, they were very rich, my aunt and uncle. Kringle toys were what all kids wanted. They were the very best. Growing up with my aunt and uncle, I never knew anything but a life of luxury and comfort. I had a personal butler, Albert, who attended to my every need. I had a personal chef, Francois, who cooked whatever I felt in the mood to eat. And best of all, I got to have any Kringle toy I wanted, whenever I wanted. 
In fact, there was an entire room in the mansion dedicated to toys. My aunt and uncle were rarely around. They were too busy meeting important people, working on new ventures, going to fancy parties and doing anything else they thought that would grow the business even bigger. When they were around, they seemed to only have eyes for their son, Christopher, who had been born around the same time as me. It wasn't that they were unkind to me, exactly, just uninterested. Sometimes I wondered if they even remembered who I was, because they frequently mixed up my name with the name of their dog, Fluffers. I had everything a little boy could want, so I couldn't really complain, though I did a fair bit of complaining anyways. How had I learned from my aunt and uncle, who liked to complain loudly about anything and everything? I was spoiled, selfish and greedy. I don't think I ever even considered the idea of doing something for someone else. Ah, yes, I had everything, or so I thought. Everything except perhaps true happiness or joy. Even though I was quite young, I can still remember when lying in bed at night, trying to fall asleep, I would get this very peculiar feeling in my chest. It might sound odd, but the only way I can describe it is to say that it felt like emptiness. Like my life was somehow missing something, though I could never quite figure out what it was. Looking back now, it is clear what I was missing, but we'll get to that. One day when I was a young boy, I learned that Kringle Incorporated was planning to release a fancy new toy. Some sort of incredible miniature boat that had mechanical oars and tiny functional cannons. I simply had to have it, and I wanted it immediately. I declared to my aunt and uncle at lunch, I want the new toy boat, and I want it today. Without lifting her eyes from the document she was poring over, my aunt muttered distractedly, Sorry, Fluffers, but it's not going to be available for another week. I want it today. I shouted. I began to scream and cry. Well, they weren't real tears. I just knew if I wailed and pretended to cry, I would usually get what I wanted. (laughs) Oh, goodness, what a ruckus, said my uncle disinterestedly as he continued to scan his documents. Albert, take this unruly child to the factory and see if they have a prototype model that he can have. It would be my pleasure, replied my butler, and he motioned for me to follow him to the carriage. I immediately stopped crying and followed him excitedly. Albert was a tall, slender man with an impeccably trim moustache. His impassive features rarely revealed what he was thinking, and I often got to sense that he knew much more than he let on. As rude as I sometimes was to Albert, even then I knew he was the kind, caring man. In fact, looking back, I would now say he gave me my first taste of receiving true kindness. In any case, in no time at all, we'd made our way down the bumpy road into the city where the toy factory stood. I'd never seen it before. It was in a part of town that only poor people lived, because there were so many factories billowing black smoke. We walked inside the grimy brick building, and I remember thinking it seemed odd that such bright, beautiful toys were made in such a dark, gloomy place. We walked past rows and rows of workers in oil-stained clothes doing various tasks. Painting eyes on dolls, assembling toy carriages, 
or winding springs. It looked like hard work, and some of them didn't look much older than I was. But all that was wiped from my mind when I laid eyes upon the most spectacular toy boat I'd ever seen. It was painted with bright reds and blues, had twenty tiny wind-up oars that were said to propel at a pace of up to five knots, and there were the miniature working cannons that shot small metal balls up to ten feet. Mine! I said, and grabbed it. As we left, I couldn't help but notice that some of the children who were working in the factory stared longingly at the boat in my hands. I remember feeling a momentary desire to give it to them. I shook my head vigorously. What am I thinking? This is mine! Once we were back in the carriage, the thought had been forgotten. I couldn't wait to get back to the estate and try out the boat on the pond. Can't these blasted horses go any faster? I yelled out the carriage window to Albert who held the reins. And yes, I said carriage, which gives you an idea of how old I have become. It seems good deeds and joyful living are good for the human body and soul. As you please, young master, replied Albert, and I heard him cracking the whip. We took off towards the Kringle estate. Just as we reached the edge of the city, however, I heard a loud crack, and the carriage came abruptly to a halt. What's the problem? I demanded. Why have we stopped? Albert had hopped down from the driver's seat to inspect one of the carriage's wheels. My apologies, young master, but it appears the wheel has cracked. I'll need to fetch help at the mansion. Please, stay here until I return. It shouldn't take more than a few hours. A few hours? Are you joking me? This is ridiculous! It's inconceivable! It's unacceptable! It's an outrage! It's... it's... I'm sorry, young master. I'll return as quickly as I can. Without another word, he turned and began walking quickly up the cobblestone road towards the estate. What luck! I thought to myself. The minute I get my hands on my new toy, the carriage breaks and I don't even get to play with it. I stared grumpily out the window. I couldn't bear the thought of waiting multiple hours to play with my new toy. And that's when I had an idea. I'll just go find some little pond in the city, play with my toy and be back before Albert is. He'll never even know I left. I hopped from the carriage and took off down the street that led back to the city. I turned left, then right, then left again. Deeper and deeper into the city I went searching for a pond or fountain where I could test my new toy. I'd never been allowed to be alone in the city before. It was a thrilling experience, and also an odd one. I saw people peddling their goods, shop owners shouting to potential buyers, and preachers standing on crates preaching. I saw beggars in old ripped clothing begging for food or gold. I saw a very old man in grimy clothing being carried on a stretcher from a small house. But what stood out to me most was seeing so many other children. They ran through the streets playing, big smiles on their faces, Despite the fact they wore dirty stained clothes and looked to be very poor, they seemed radiantly happy. I recall wondering if I'd ever felt as happy as they looked. What I didn't see was a pond or fountain. I looked and looked, but there seemed to be none to be found. And eventually I decided it was no use. I turned around, and that's when I realized I was utterly lost. 
I ran frantically trying to retrace my steps, but it was no good. I had no idea where I was, or which way would take me back to the carriage. Dusk was beginning to set in, and the winter air was getting very cold. Collapsing on an old wooden crate, I began to cry into my hands. I felt so scared that I would never get home, that I would be stuck in the grimy city forever. After weeping for a while, I looked up to discover a small group of people had gathered around me. They wore ragged clothing and looked like peasants, and they stood looking at me. Me, the well-dressed boy with the expensive toy. I recognised a couple of them from the factory earlier that day. Get away from me! I squeaked between sobs. My parents are very powerful, so you better watch what you do! I threatened. At this, many of them smiled, and one old woman even chuckled. Don't worry, laddie. We're not here to harm you. I looked around, and it was clear she was telling the truth. They had no intention to rob me, eat me, kidnap me, or anything like that. In fact, what I saw in their faces was far from malice or animosity. What I saw was kindness and pity. They felt sorry for me, me, the richest kid in the city. I couldn't believe it. The elderly woman who had spoken stepped forward and gently draped a rough blanket over my shoulders. I only then realised that I'd been shivering from the cold. Would you like to come stand by the fire? She asked kindly. Nodding awkwardly, I followed her, along with the rest of the people, to a nearby bonfire that was crackling merrily and emanating a most wonderful warmth. A small girl, no older than seven, brought me a steaming tin mug of something. It smelled delicious, of onions and garlic. They asked what I was doing in the city without my parents. I told them what had happened with the carriage. They listened to my story, nodding and understanding. It was an odd and wonderful feeling to be listened to in that way. A middle-aged man stepped into the light of the fire and said, No, don't worry, laddie. I got lost when I was young too, and I turned out all right. <laughs> Everyone laughed, and so did I. I'm pulling your leg, laddie, said the middle-aged man kindly. You're not lost for good. We know this sea like the back of our hands. We can show you the way back to your carriage, no problem. But first, why don't you try a piece of Granny Tonglin's famous corn cake? I'd be willing to wager not even a chef can make it this good. I accepted a slice of the dense cake and was amazed how delicious it was, rich and buttery, with a hint of something I didn't recognise. The elderly woman who had given me the blanket earlier noticed me eyeing it curiously. Baked with love, she said. I stood for a while longer by the fire with this odd group, sharing stories, laughing and even singing a couple of songs. It was the most fun I had ever had in my life. By the end of it, my cheeks hurt from smiling. Well, we'd better get you back before your family starts to worry, said the middle-aged man. Hey kids, would you like to show our new friend the way back to his carriage? A gaggle of children about my age all agreed excitedly and waved at me to follow them. We ran gleefully through the streets lit by glowing orange street lamps and by the warm glow that shone from the windows of people's homes. The sky above was clear, with stars so close it felt we could almost catch one if we jumped high enough. 
We laughed and leapt from crate to crate, swung from clotheslines, and did cartwheels the whole way. In no time, we arrived at the carriage, and from the light of the moon, I could see a figure walking towards us with a wheel in his hands. That must be Albert. Quick, you'd all better go, or I'll be in trouble. I said. See you later, said one child. Come back and play any time, said another. Have fun with your new boat, said another. They turned to go. Wait! I called after them. They turned back. I hesitated for a moment looking down at my new boat that I hadn't even played with yet. Taking a deep breath, I held it out to them. I want you all to have this. It's the least I could do to thank you for all you've done to help me. They stared at me in shock. Are you sure? said a little boy. Positive. I replied. Quick! Or Albert will catch us. I thrust the boat into the arms of the nearest child, smiled and waved. Hope to see you all again soon. Thank you. They all stammered. I never forget the smiles on all their faces as they looked at the toy, or how excited they were as they skipped back towards the city under the full moon. I hopped back into the carriage just as Albert arrived. I'm sorry it took so long, young master. He said calmly, No problem. I replied. He did a double take and looked at me incredulously. Is everything all right, young master? You seem odd. Yes, I'm fine. I said and smiled. More than fine. I'm great. He continued to eye me suspiciously. If he noticed the toy was gone, he didn't mention it. It was one of those moments again that made me wonder if he somehow knew much more than he was letting on. Very well, he said, giving me the briefest of smiles, and what I could have sworn was a tiny wink. He quickly replaced the broken wheel with the new one he'd fetched, and in no time we were back at the mansion. (laughs) Falling asleep that night, I realised that the empty feeling that normally accompanied me in my dreams was no longer there. Instead, my chest felt like it was a warm, fuzzy ball of light. That was my first taste of true joy. The joy of giving. And do you know what the date was on that fortuitous day? Well, it was December the 25th, of course. It was what would eventually, many years down the road, be known as Christmas. I woke up the next morning still glowing from the previous day's adventure. I wanted to share it with someone, but knew that my aunt and uncle wouldn't listen. And even if they did, they probably wouldn't believe me. Over the following weeks, the pleasures of the mansion, which had once kept me busy and entertained, began to feel shallow, uninteresting and hollow. I tried to enjoy playing with all the toys as I usually did, but all I could think about when I looked at the massive pile of toys in the toy room was the children in the city. It seemed so unfair that we should have so much and they so little. I tried to distract myself with sumptuous foods from Francois, I still loved his cakes and puddings, but once I'd finished eating them, I found myself feeling more empty than I'd begun. Weeks turned to months, and as they did I became more and more forlorn. Nothing seemed to fill the hollowness I felt at the mansion. Nothing except my secret project. I got the idea a few days after the first night in the city. It was actually thanks to Albert. 
We'd all just eaten an enormous feast with stuffed hams, roast turkey, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, and a delicious treacle tart for dessert. There were, as usual, tons of leftovers. The servants swiftly pulled them from the dining table to dispose of them in the kitchen. As I left the table, Albert stopped me and said, Young master, would you enjoy an outing to the city tomorrow? I was caught by surprise, but shrugged. Yes, sure. Maybe it would take my mind off things. Perhaps we should save some of this food to bring for lunch. He suggested. Looking up, I saw he had a twinkle in his eye. I thought I knew what he was up to and smiled. Yes, I think we'll need a lot of food. I have a feeling I'm going to be really hungry. As you wish, young master. Nodded Albert, a shadow of a smile flitting across his moustache. The next day, we loaded into the carriage early, and I found that Albert had packed at least a dozen small bundles that smelled an awful lot like the previous night's feast. We trundled into the city, and Albert stopped the carriage whenever he spotted a person or a family who looked like they could use a little extra food. Whenever he did, I would grab a bundle, hop out, sneak through the crowd, and place the bundle carefully right beside the person it was intended for. Then I would tap them lightly on the shoulder and, before they had time to turn around, scamper away back to the carriage, where I would watch. Each and every one of them first looked confused, until they noticed a small cloth-wrapped package. Opening it, every one of them broke into an enormous smile. One woman even started to cry in joy. She must be really hungry, I thought. Albert had also packed some leftover bones, which he gave to some stray dogs, who happily gnawed away on them. It was the best day I'd had since the first night in the city, and I couldn't wait to do it again. To make things even better, after we'd secretly delivered all the food, Albert turned to me and said, Time for another broken wheel, I reckon, and winked. He proceeded to pretend to be extremely busy with something while I slipped away to find the friends I had made on the previous visit. I would play with them for an hour or two and then sneak back to the carriage. Albert would pretend he never even noticed I'd left and we would return to the mansion as if everything was ordinary. Over the following months, Albert and I made many trips into the city. I got to know all the children and loved secretly bringing joy to strangers with the bundles of food we brought. I always especially enjoyed giving treats to the stray animals. We never openly discussed what we were doing, but it was like a secret bit of magic that we shared. It was very special, and yet I found myself wanting to do more. But what? I would often think. The answer came one fateful day, exactly a year after the first trip into the city. I was playing in the toy room with Christopher. Well, he was playing. I was just sitting on the corner watching. He was flinging his new toy glider plane across the room, watching it do loop-the-loops and barrel rolls. I was completely lost in thought when, with an enormous crack, I was pulled out of my musings. Looking up, I saw Christopher standing over the wreckage of his new plane, which had crashed into the heaping pile of old toys in one corner of the room. I knew he was about to explode and thought I'd rather not be a part of that, so I began skirting the wall towards the door. Just as I reached the door, he began to wail and scream. All this stuff is in the way. He turned and pointed a mean little finger at his butler, Frederick, and demanded, Do something about this. Clean it up. 
Get rid of all this old garbage now! He stormed out, not even noticing that I was standing by the doorway. Frederick jumped into action and began sorting the new toys from the old, with the intention of getting rid of the old. As I watched, I thought to myself, How sad! That all these toys will go to waste when there are so many children who would love to have even one of them. I turned and left the room. It wasn't until I was halfway down the hallway that I stopped dead in my tracks. That's it! I said aloud. Albert, who was, as usual, by my side, said, That is what, young master? I turned to him. In my excitement, I could hardly speak. The toys! We! They! The kids! As incomprehensible as I was, Albert smiled fleetingly and nodded in understanding. Tonight, at midnight. Nothing else was said, but I knew he understood. That night, after everyone else had gone to their bedrooms to sleep, I snuck down the hallway to Albert's bedroom. I tapped three times on his door, and it immediately swung open. He was fully dressed and looked like he was waiting for me. He quickly looked right and left down the hallway before beckoning me inside. We'll have to be fast. We need to be back by dawn. I have taken the liberty of loading the bags of toys into the carriage and bridling the horses. I smiled up at him and all at once ran and threw my arms around him. He chuckled. It was the first time I'd ever heard him laugh and patted me awkwardly on the back. Thank you. I whispered. We'd better go, he said. He was smiling too. We walked as quickly and quietly as we could down the hallway, down the stairs, and out into the cold winter night. The stars blazed above us, the sky a deep inky blue. I felt more alive than I'd ever felt in my life. I'm sorry, young master, but the carriage is full of toys. You'll have to ride up here with me. Please call me Nick. I replied as I hopped up next to him in the driver's seat of the carriage. Very well, Nick he said, and with a wink, we were off. The night was frigid, a thick mat of snow covered the ground. We moved quietly down the road and in no time had arrived at the centre of the city. It was so quiet we could hear the gently falling snow landing on the soft ground. Our lantern radiated a murray light. It was so beautiful I could have sat there forever. We have a small problem. Albert's whisper pulled me from my thoughts. How do you suppose, young Nick, we will get the toys into the homes? He had a good point. You can't just walk into someone else's house in the middle of the night. We sat in silence for a minute, wondering what to do. Looking around, I saw a ladder that led up to the rooftop of a nearby house. I have an idea. I whispered it in his ear. Very well, young master. Nick. I reminded him. Ah, yes, Nick. Then shall we? We shall. We leapt from the carriage, and Albert grabbed some rope he had stowed in the back. In a flash, we were on the slippery roof. We carefully approached the big brick chimney. Albert helped me tie the rope around my waist, and I reached into the bag to retrieve one of the toys. I looked down the chimney. Pitch black. I gulped. Are you sure this is what you want to do, Nick? asked Albert with a slight quiver in his voice. My whole body trembled. I was afraid. But then I remembered the look on the faces of the children a year ago after I'd given them the boat. It gave me courage. I had to do this.
Yes, I replied, and I was surprised how firm my voice sounded. I climbed over the edge of the chimney and began lowering myself down while Albert held the other end of the rope taut. Ever so slowly, he lowered me down, down, down through the sooty darkness. It smelled like charcoal and wood smoke. The edges of the chimney were thick with years of ash. (coughs) I felt my feet gently touch ground. I let out a small sigh of relief. I was small enough that I didn't even have to bend over to walk out of the brick fireplace into the dark living room. This was the house where my friend Helen lived, and I'd selected a special toy horse for her, because I knew she loved horses. I looked around, wondering where I should leave it, and spotted some stockings that must have been hung on the fire to dry. Quickly and as quietly as I could, I slipped the toy horse into one of the stockings, walked back into the fireplace, and gave the rope a light tug. Albert began pulling me back up. Back on the roof, Albert and I did a little happy dance. It worked. We'd done it. We delivered our first toy. I felt exhilarated, excited, full of joy. I couldn't wait to do it again. We walked carefully to the edge of Helen's house, which was right next door to Thomas and Sonia's house. It was an easy little jump from one house to the next. And again, down the chimney I went, this time with a toy carriage for Thomas and a beautiful wooden doll for Sonia. From house to house we went, and at each I slipped a toy or two into a hanging sock or tucked them next to the fireplace. It was nearly dawn when I emerged from the last chimney, and Albert and I scurried quickly back to the ladder, hopped onto the carriage, and were on our way. We had delivered every toy but one, a set of small silver bells that rang merrily when you shook them. I didn't mind, I was just glad we'd had enough presents for every one of the homes. As we neared the edge of the city, I thought I heard a yell of delight from somewhere behind us. I felt so overjoyed that I grabbed the silver bells out of the empty sack and gave them a jovial shake. The sound was like angels singing, and I laughed heartily. (laughs) I heard rumours that children in the city had woken to gifts, having mysteriously appeared in their homes on the morning of December 25th. Everyone had a different guess as to how it had happened. Some thought it was an act of angels. Some thought it was God. Some thought it was fairies or elves. The different stories made me laugh. They were all wrong, of course, except for one thing that they all had in common. Whichever version of the story you heard, it always included the murray sound of jingling bells in the distance. The excitement of the night had filled me with such an incredible sense of joy and profound feeling of purpose. This, I thought, is what I want to do with my life. I want to give. It wasn't long after that glorious night of giving that Albert entered my bedroom one morning to inform me that my aunt and uncle would be taking me on a trip to the north. Why on earth would we go north this time of year? I asked. It must be negative 100 degrees up there. I haven't a clue, young Nicholas, but you'd better gather your things. I'll pack you some warm clothes. By the afternoon, we were riding down to the harbour in my carriage, with several large suitcases tied to the top. We arrived at the harbour where my aunt and uncle's enormous ship sat tied up. They had already arrived along with Christopher. Hurry up! I heard my aunt shout from the window of the ship's main cabin, Albert and I quickly untied our suitcases, scrambled up the gangplank onto the deck, and swiftly entered the warm cabin. 
It was plush and well-decorated, with soft footstools and squashy armchairs scattered about. My aunt and uncle were sitting at a big oak dining table examining what looked like plans of some sort. I couldn't help but notice my aunt looked a bit nervous. I'd been on the ship several times. My aunt and uncle used it for occasional vacations or business trips and would often take me along. But we'd never gone north. We departed almost at once, big billows of coal smoke drifting up from the tall iron smokestacks atop the ship. I stood on the deck watching the harbour fade from view and was struck by a funny feeling that I might not be back for a long, long time. My aunt and uncle didn't really tell me where we were going or why, and every time I tried to ask them about it, they gave some insubstantial answer like, Oh, fluffers, we have an appraisal to attend to, and please, don't ask questions. Or, You needn't worry of such things, just enjoy the ride like a good little boy. One night, as I was walking back to my bunk to go to bed, I overheard them having a heated discussion in the study. Curious, I snuck quietly to the door, which had been left cracked open. Peering in, I saw my aunt. She was saying she had second thoughts about the rare minerals they would be looking to extract. My uncle countered, But think of the profits, darling. If they're as easy to access as our sources say, we'll be able to make cheaper toys faster and sell them for more money. I know, but, oh darling, I just don't know. Now that we might actually do it, I'm not sure I can. It will destroy so much territory. Territory that is home to so many species of animals. I just, oh darling, I'm not so sure. I'm just not sure. My uncle came into view. It's the North Pole. Nobody will notice or care. I didn't want to hear any more. I couldn't comprehend why they cared so much about making more money when they already had everything they could possibly need, especially when it would come at the expense of the homes of all those animals. I went to bed feeling dizzy and confused, wondering what I could do. I fell into a restless sleep, but was awoken in what felt like minutes by a familiar thud, that meant we were docking. I pulled on my jacket, hat and gloves and ran out onto the deck. It was the middle of the night and we'd pulled into a small icy harbour. Several gruff-looking bearded men were helping tie up our ship. Up the snow-laden hill from the harbour, I saw a tiny village with warm orange lights sparkling from the frosted windows of cottages. Beyond that, I could see the outlines of enormous mountains painted on the dark horizon. Just then, my aunt and uncle appeared on the deck. Ah, Albert, please gather Nick's things. We'll have to stay in this village tonight. There's an enormous storm approaching and it's too dangerous to be out in the open ocean or even in the ship in the harbour. We've arranged quarters for you and Nick in a small lodge in the village. Albert hurriedly retrieved our luggage from below the deck and we followed Chris, my aunt and my uncle down onto the slippery dock. Pulling up our collars against the cold wind, we followed the men who tied up our boat along the winding trail up the hill. We entered the warmth of a little inn. A fire crackled merrily, and we were greeted by a plump, jovial-looking man with rosy cheeks. We followed him up a narrow staircase, down a hallway, and through a small door. This one's yours, little fella, said the plump man, smiling. It was a simple room, but was warm and had a big window looking out towards the ocean. Because it was still the middle of the night, 
we all went straight to our bedrooms. As I lay in my bed, my mind returned to my aunt and uncle's conversation. I wished so deeply I could live a different life. Closing my eyes tightly, I whispered softly to nobody and anybody, May I find a way to bring joy to the world? As I said it, a strange electric tingle danced up my spine, almost as if some sort of magic was trying to tell me that my prayer was heard and understood. I smiled and opened my eyes, and that's when I saw it. Outside my window, dancing across the sky in miraculous ethereal greens, purples and blues, was a curtain of light. There's no other way to describe it. It shone so brightly that its brilliant reflection could be seen on the snowy landscape. My whole body seemed to dance with the shimmering light as I watched, completely in awe, from my bed. I was transfixed, and all of a sudden I understood something without knowing how or why. The light was inviting me to follow it somewhere. It was beckoning me to go outside and meet it. I couldn't explain how I knew, but I'd never been more sure of anything in my life. I leapt from my bed and pulled my big red wool jacket over my pyjamas. I stepped into my thick boots and grabbed my warm red and white hat and a pair of matching mittens before slipping quietly from my room. I crept down the dark hallway as quiet as a mouse and tiptoed down the stairs. As quietly as I could, I opened the door and stepped out into the night. The cold air hit my face like a freight train. Fortunately, my red suit kept the rest of me warm. I pulled the white collar up around my cheeks to stave the chill. Looking up, it appeared that stars were dangling from the inky black ceiling a million miles away, and the crescent moon glowed happily on the horizon. And there was that incredible sheet of light dancing and playing amongst it all, glittering and calling me forth into the night. I began to walk, always looking up, letting myself be guided by the shimmering sheets of magical light. To this day, I don't know how I so easily understood what that extraordinary spectacle in the sky was telling me, but somehow I did. I walked and walked, further and further into the dancing, magical, wind-chilled, stormy night. The wind howled at my back, pushing me forward until, in a brilliant flash, the light disappeared. I hardly had time to feel surprised when, crack, 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 the ground beneath my feet seemed to be dissolving, shattering, cracking, and without warning, I dropped straight down. I found myself whipping along on a slide made of ice, flying down, down, down. I closed my eyes to avoid being sick. And then, whoosh. As quickly as it all started, it was over. Opening my eyes, I saw that I'd slid out onto a massive icy floor beneath a cavernous cathedral-like crystal ceiling that was lit by at least a thousand candles and torches. And I wasn't alone. Scattered about the cave were slender little people, or at least they looked like people, except they were very short and had pointy ears. They all looked like they were busy working on various projects, and only a couple even noticed that I just stood in. There was also enormous animals that looked like majestic deer with shimmering ochre coats. 
One of these tiny little people had noticed my arrival and hurried forward with a smile on his little face. He was a gruff-looking fellow who, as he got closer, I noticed had tall, pointy ears and dangly earlobes. His big green hat drooped almost as low as his lobes did. Um, hello. He said awkwardly. The sound of his voice made some of the other little people look in our direction. Suddenly a symphony of chatter and excitement spread throughout the cave as the elves began running over to meet this mystery guest. The sight and sound of all the tiny people was enough to put my exhausted body and mind over the edge. My brain short-circuited and I passed out cold. When I started to regain consciousness, I could hear the sound of what may have been hundreds of high-pitched voices chattering away. It seemed as though a group of these tiny people were trying to figure out what to do with me. I laid there with my eyes closed, pretending still to be unconscious. What are we going to do with him? He's just a kid. We need to get him back to his family. Are you crazy? The worst blizzard in over 200 years is just beginning to rear its head out there. Not even the reindeer could go out in a storm like that and make it back to tell the tale. He must be here for a reason, though. Yeah, what are the chances of him stumbling into this cave during this blizzard? Elf magic. Elf magic! Elf magic! The words rang through the space, echoing in my ears and deep in my mind. Elf magic. Elf magic? I asked myself, wondering what that meant. My eyes slowly opened and a hush fell. The silence almost echoing off the shimmering cave walls. As things came back into focus, I discovered a crowd of these little beings were encircling me, interspersed with the big heads and antlers of enormous deer. I slowly pulled myself into a sitting position, looking around. They stared at me in anxious anticipation. I stared back. Nobody blinked. Nobody even breathed. It was so quiet, I thought I could hear my heart beating. Finally, the gruff-looking fellow, the one who'd first approached me, stepped forward out of the group and cleared his throat. Hey there, I'm sorry about scaring you earlier. He was a little awkward and shy, but I could tell his heart was full of kindness, and there was a twinkle in his eye that reminded me of Albert. I wanted to ask, What are you? But thought that would be rude, so instead I asked, Who are you? And where am I? We're the elves of the North Pole, and this is our home. The gruff-looking elf answered with a smile. Am I dreaming? I wondered, and I reached across and pinched my elbow. Ouch! I guess not. But how could this be real? Elves aren't real, are they? I'm gruff, said the gruff-looking elf, still looking at me timidly. Yes, sorry. I'm Nikolaus, I think. I responded. I still wasn't fully convinced this wasn't a dream. If you don't mind my asking, what on earth were you doing out in the middle of the storm? You could have been lost forever. It's too cold out there tonight even for us reindeer. And we've got the thickest coat of almost any creature of the north. Did, did, did you just speak? I stammered. I had to be dreaming. The reindeer looked at me unconcernedly. You'll get used to it, he said kindly. So, asked Groff again, why were you out there? There must be a reason, mustn't there? Well, um, this is going to sound crazy. I began, 
I was certain that even elves would think following a mysterious sheet of dancing light was a bit ludicrous. You see, there was this light in the sky. It kind of um, guided me out into the night. And then it was gone. And the spot I was standing, well, the ice broke and I fell and now I'm here. To my surprise, all the elves and reindeer responded to this explanation with a collective intake of breath. <gasps> the Northern Lights guided you here? Asked Gruff. He didn't seem to think I was crazy. Well, I don't know if they were the Northern Lights, but some sort of light showed me the way. I replied. And out of nowhere, there was an explosion of cheering from the elves. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. Finally, things settled down again. I must have looked confused because Gruff explained, The Northern Lights are powerfully magical and they always bring beings together for a reason. What that reason is, who knows? But it is always joyful when the lights act on our behalf. I was still just grateful they didn't think I was crazy. Well, continued Gruff, You might as well make yourself at home, Nicholas. It will be at least a few days before we're able to get you back to your family because of this monstrous storm. In the meantime, we'll have the pleasure of discovering why the lights guided you here at this auspicious time. He beamed up at me along with all the other elves. I wondered if my aunt and uncle would be worried about me. They probably won't even notice I'm gone. I thought rather sadly. Albert might worry, but he probably somehow already knows I'm here. He seems to always know. I must have looked a bit concerned, because one of the elves piped up, Don't worry, we're a lot of fun. Again, everyone laughed and cheered. As the laughter subsided, the elves began walking up to me and introducing themselves one at a time. As tired and disorientated as I was, I couldn't help feeling deeply at home in their presence. More at home, in fact, than I'd ever felt back at my aunt and uncle's mansion. Such an honour, Mr. Nicholas. Snooper's a name. Snooper Drupaltop said one. Chili Von Jugglers, my name, Mr. Nicholas. It's a pleasure, said another. And on and on and on it went. There must have been more than 100 elves, and then at least nine reindeer that came up and said hello. The last elf to introduce themselves to me was also the smallest. Her big round eyes shone brightly up at me, and she said, Hi, I'm Twinkle Toes, but most of the elves around here call me Twinkie. Each and every elf and reindeer had the same twinkle in their eye, especially Twinkie. And by the time I'd met them all, I realised I'd been smiling the entire time. There was something about the way they spoke, listened and hopped around that just made me feel joyful. It was so different from my aunt and uncle, who seemed comparatively cold and short. Since you're going to be here for a few days, how about I give you a little tour? It was Twinkie who had remained by my side. Waving for me to follow, we began walking around the cavernous main chamber, which I now realised had hundreds of doors on every shape and size and colour leading off into rooms and hallways. Twinkie guided me along, pointing out different things as we went. Most of the elves had gone back to their various tasks, but whenever we passed one, she smiled broadly and gave him a wink. It was almost as if they were always about to laugh. And it was contagious. Before long, I found myself giggling at nothing in particular. <laughs> Twinkie giggled along with me. It's fun being joyful, isn't it? <laughs> yes. 
I said between giggles. It sure is. The elves were a strange bunch. Even though I was still only a small boy, they were still only half my height, with spindly little legs and bony elbows. But their size didn't hinder their ability to do things. Indeed, they could do anything a full-grown human could do, and then some. I soon learned that this enormous underground network of caves and caverns was not only their home, but was also their workshop. Hundreds, maybe even a thousand elves lived in this enormous underground network, and each and every one of them worked diligently on one project or another. What's all this for? I asked quietly to Twinkie as we stepped through yet another small door into a room full of elves who sat in a big circle in complete stillness, with smiles on all their faces and closed eyes. Well, everything we do here at the North Pole is to accomplish our purpose as elves. And what purpose is that? To bring joy to the world, of course. We left the room and continued on. What were those elves back there doing? It seemed like they were just sitting there doing nothing. How does that bring joy to the world? I asked. Twinkie chuckled. (laughs) They are the elders. And since their hands don't work quite as well anymore, they bring joy to the whole world by sitting quietly and radiating joy throughout the universe. And that actually changes things? I asked incredulously. Of course! All living creatures emanate energy, and the elders are very skilled in making sure the energy they emanate is full of joy. When it touches other living creatures, they too feel joy. Haven't you noticed how happy and at peace you felt since you arrived here? I had noticed. I nodded slowly. That's because of all the joyful energy that fills these caves. But it goes much further. Joy, love, generosity, and goodwill are not limited by time or space. The elders in the cave back there are sharing joy with people thousands of miles away. It works just the same. I wasn't sure I understood but nodded along anyways. Other rooms were full of elves cooking, writing letters, and making toys. There are more than a million ways to bring joy to the world, all of which are documented in the Book of Joy, which we keep in here. She swung open a door to a room with beautiful stone pillars that stood around a large wooden table where there was an enormous book that looked ancient. We do our best to think up as many as we can, and whenever we think of a new one, We write it in here. She paused while I looked down at the ancient book. My mouth must have been hanging wide open. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Just earlier that night, I set my intention to bring joy to the world. And now I was in the bottom of a cave with the most joyful beings alive. How is this possible? I asked Twinkie. How is anything possible? Twinkie asked back. Magic, of course. I shook my head. Magic is real? I asked incredulously. (laughs) Of course, why wouldn't it be? We left the room with the Book of Joy and continued along the corridor. Life is listening and always responding. I have a feeling your heart and our hearts have something in common. Perhaps there is something we're supposed to do together. I didn't have a chance to respond because at that moment, Twinkie had led me into a room that took my breath away. It was the smallest room we'd entered yet, with walls painted radiant gold with delicate silver decorations. But it was what sat in the centre of the room that caught my eye. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It looked like a hollow glass tube that stood vertically 
about as tall as me. On top was a golden dial with strange symbols around the edge and a tiny needle that seemed to be quivering slightly. But what was most magnificent was what was inside the tube. It looked like a bluish-white light that had been liquefied. And it looked alive, very alive. It filled the tube up to about halfway. It was so beautiful, I could have stared at it for hours. Before I could ask what it was, I had my answer. This is the spiritometer. It measures the amount of joy and generosity in the world. We elves, we want to help fill it right up to the top. We have found that the more we give, the more others give. And the more they give, the higher the spiritometer goes. And the higher it goes, the more joy there is in the world. I reflected on how much joy I felt when Albert and I had given all those toys away to the children. Something interesting has happened in the last two years on December 25th that we're trying to understand. There has been a wondrous increase in joy that has caused the spiritometer to go higher than we've ever seen in decades. I think I may know why. I answered shyly. I told Twinkie about how I'd given my boat away and about the secret deeds that Albert and I had done and about our big give day a few weeks prior. The whole time I shared, Twinkie's eyes lit up brighter and brighter and so did the liquid inside the spiritometer. This is very good news, young Nicholas. Very good news. We must tell the elves and have a big meeting. The light has brought us together. Perhaps this is why. Twinkie looked like Christmas had come early. Of course, we didn't even have a word for Christmas yet, but you know what I mean. I'll meet you back in the big room, (laughs) she said, while turning to run out of the room laughing as she went. Twinkie scampered away, leaving me to gaze for a long while at the spiritometer. With a tingle in my spine, I got a distinct feeling that I was, for the first time in my life, home. By the time I made my way back into the main room that I'd stood into, the gigantic cathedral room was like a beehive, erupting with energy. Apparently Twinkie had told all of the elves my story. When I entered through one of the many doorways, the elves all burst into cheers. It was the most overwhelming experience in my life. I was filled with joy, confusion, excitement and fear all at once. When the room finally quieted down, Twinkie asked me to retell my story, and so again I told all the elves about giving away my toy boat and my first give day with Albert, and this time I also told them about how I'd been laying in bed just hours before, wondering how I could continue to bring joy to the world through giving. We can help with that, shouted Gruff when I had finished. What do you mean? We don't have any toys or anything, I asked, puzzled. Surely they didn't have a giant room full of old toys laying around. The elves all chuckled as if they knew something I didn't. Well, we're elves, aren't we? Squeaked Twinkie. Uh, yes, you're elves. I agreed, still unsure what this was leading to. So we know how to make all sorts of things, don't we? Not to toot our own horns or nothing, but haven't you ever heard how clever elves are? It's the one thing you humans got right about us in your myths and fairy tales. All the elves giggled and laughed. You mean you can make toys and things for children? Finally catching up to speed. Of course! Several elves said at once. We can make darn near anything. Added Gruff. So long as we have a little magic in our hands. He looked a little worried when he said this. 
He must have noticed I was looking concerned, because he continued. You see, Nick? He said, looking less cheerful now. Remember that spiritometer Twinkie showed you? Well, you saw how it was about halfway full. It's been dropping for years and years now, minus the last two December 25ths, which we now understand where you're doing. The only way to bring it up again is to spread joy and good cheer. And we elves require the energy that's made from joy and generosity in order to do our magic. Gruff trailed off. Then Twinkie piped up. But we can all work together to spread joy to the world by delivering good deeds and toys and things to eat and the like to everyone on the planet. She looked positively radiant with enthusiasm as she said this. So you're saying we can make toys and gifts here and then somehow deliver them to people's homes? Yes, exactly, Mr. Nicholas. I couldn't help feeling excited, but I saw a major flaw in the plan. But we're in a cave in the North Pole. How on earth would we get toys from here to people's homes? We can help with that, said one of the reindeer who'd introduced himself as Blitzen. He and seven others stepped forward. Really? I mean, no offence or anything, but most people live, well, several thousand miles from here? No problem, he casually responded. I was sure the reindeer didn't understand. I was about to explain again why it wasn't possible when Blitzen said, Nick! Nothing is impossible with magic. The same energy that brought you here, the same energy that allows the elves to do their spells and crafts, that energy allows us to catch the wind with our hooves and fly. Yes, fly. And not only that, but we can fly very, very fast. (laughs) Some might even say that we can, hmm, how should I put it? Bend time. What? You can fly? And what the heck does it mean to bend time? I asked. My head felt like it was going to explode. Reindeer? Flying? Needn't you worry how it works, Nick. Just know that if the elves can build a proper sleigh, we can get you to every house in the world faster than the blink of an eye, said Blitzen confidently. I stared at them in disbelief. So... What do you say, Nick? Should we become a team and spread joy and generosity to the world? Suddenly the cave was silent. All the elves and reindeer just sat there, staring at me with bated breath. I thought about it for a moment. Nothing in my life has brought me as much joy as giving. Giving is where my heart belongs. I knew my answer. Yes! I said loudly. The answer echoed off the cave walls and was followed by an explosion of cheering that broke out around me. Elves rushed forward from all directions to give me hugs or shake my hands. Well, let us get started then. Let's make a plan, cried Snooper. Almost as if by magic, there suddenly was a giant chalkboard off to one side. Six elves ran up with little ladders, which they perched at various locations along the chalkboard and began writing big words at the top, The plan. How shall we do it? How about a single night of giving to inspire the world for a year? I suggested to much applause and agreement. On the chalkboard, the elves wrote, once per year. Now what shall this day be called? Albert and I called it Give Day. I answered almost as a question. Give Day is perfect, cried the elves. Other elves cheered their agreement. Give Day wrote the elves on the chalkboard. 
And when shall we do it? Called another elf. Well, how about December 25th, just like the last two times I did it? I proposed. Sounds good to us! Cheered the elves and the reindeer. The elves of the chalkboard road, December 25th. We've only got ten and a half months to prepare, and preparation is half the fun. Let's get to it! The next word the elves wrote down on the chalkboard was G-O. Go! And in a flash, all the elves were rushing off to different workstations to begin making toys, trinkets, and anything else that could spread joy to the world. Twinkie stayed with me. Young Nicholas, we elves are skilled in the ways of magic and making, but I have a funny feeling there could be a particular power in you being a part of the actual delivery of our gifts. It's just a feeling. But what do you think? Would you be willing to help distribute the things we make to the world? Wow, that'll be an honor. So thank you. I stammered. The following months were a blur of activity and never in my life had I had more fun. The elves taught me to make some of their favorite toys and I gave them my opinion on different features that modern children would want. Each night, we ate big, scrumptious meals and sat around an enormous table telling stories, laughing and talking. Most nights, I went to sleep with that feeling that I had grown ball of light in my chest. But from time to time, I wondered if my aunt, uncle or Christopher missed me, or even knew I was gone. I also hoped that Albert wouldn't feel worried. But when I imagined his twinkling eyes, I couldn't help but feel he already knew what I was up to, and that made me smile. Before we knew it, it was the eve before the big gift day. Everything was ready. The sleigh was built, the gifts were made, the meals were packed, and the flying reindeer were ready to go. As the clock neared midnight, we finished loading up the sleigh, and I climbed in, along with Twinkie and Gruff, who would be my co-pilots. Dong, 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 the clock struck midnight. I guess this is it. I said, looking down from the sleigh at all the elves who were crowded around. May good days bring joy to the world! I shouted. The elves all cheered. On Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner, on Blitzen! I called out to each of the eight reindeer. And on Rudolph! I added to the ninth. You got it, Nick! Blitzen called back, and suddenly the strangest thing happened. The only way I can describe it is that time and space simply vanished. The next thing I knew, we were flying through the sky above a small city. <laughs> I laughed so hard, which made the elves giggle with glee. How did we do that? How did we get here so fast? I shouted over the wind that was whipping through my ears. We told you! Laughed Blitzen. We can bend time! <laughs> Whatever that means, it is amazing! I laughed. The reindeer guided us down to a house, and somehow we were able to land on its roof without making as much as a peep. This city looks awfully familiar. I told the reindeer. That's because it is, said Blitzen. We thought we'd start things off in your hometown. <laughs> he chuckled. Only then did I realize that we were in the very house where Albert and I had started our give day the year prior. And we had a similar problem. How are we going to get the toys into the houses? I whispered to Twinkie. Leave that to me, she said. Twinkie leapt from the sled and asked me to pass down one of the bundles of toys. Careful, I warned. 
This one has a delicate tea set in it. Holding it gingerly, she scampered over to the chimney and held it out carefully directly over the chimney's wide opening. Without warning, she suddenly let go, dropping it straight down. Without so much as a second glance, she scampered back towards the sleigh with an excited smile on her face. I was completely stunned. What have you done? It's going to be broken. Rubbish. She giggled. Holding her hands up as if showing me them for the first time, she said, Magic, remember? Oh! I said, a grin spreading across my face. Right! The package will have shot down the chimney and found something soft to land on. Twinkie reassured me. We continued on, each house like the last. We landed quietly, I chose the package, and Twinkie used some sort of elf magic to get it into the house. After we'd done at least 50 houses, I checked the time to discover... It was only 12.01am. Just one minute had passed. Blitzen saw me checking my pocket watch from the corner of his eyes. Magic, Nick. Remember? Time bending? I laughed. This is wonderful. It's incredible. It's almost like, like, like... Magic. Finished Twinkie with a twinkle in her eyes. Yes! I exclaimed. All the reindeer laughed and (laughs) off we went. Our final stop was a familiar mansion where I'd grown up. I wanted to bring a gift to my aunt, uncle and cousin Christopher to offer them a sign that I am where I'm meant to be. The sleigh landed out on the front lawn. I hopped out and crept up to the window. I wanted to peek in. At first glance, the giant home looked cold and empty. But then I saw a small flicker of light in the core of my eyes. It was my aunt and uncle huddled over a stack of papers arguing about something. Nothing's changed here. I muttered under my breath. The next room I picked in was my old bedroom. It was stacked from floor to ceiling with new toys. There was hardly even room for anyone to play. It looked like Christopher had decided one toy room wasn't enough. When will they learn? I silently pondered. Then I peeked into my cousin's bedroom. The moonlight shone down on his face and I could see an unhappy furrow in his brow, even as he slept. I hope you get to experience joy, cousin. I whispered. The joy of giving. I thought that was you, Master Nicklaus. I nearly jumped out of my boots. Turning around, I saw... Albert! I squealed in delight. I ran to give him a hug. It's so good to see you. I hope you weren't worried. It's good to see you too. And I'm glad to see you've made some new friends. He added, motioning towards the elves and reindeer who stood watching. I knew you were where you were meant to be. You always know, Albert. I whispered, marvelling again on how he did it. There's so much I want to tell you. You should come back to the North Pole with us. You could help us prepare for next year's Give Day. We're going to do it every year now. I was speaking a mile a minute, excited to share everything with my familiar friend. Thank you, Master Nicklaus. But my duty is here with your aunt and uncle. I am here to serve your cousin and support him through life. My hopes are that, like you, he can find what brings him joy. Looking up at him, I knew he was right. This was his place. I reached into my pocket and grabbed the snow globe that I'd made back at the North Pole. I handed it to Albert. Do you think you could give this to my family for me? I asked. The snow globe had a little red and white striped pole that had the letters carved into it which said, North. When you 
you shake it, special elf crystals float around, making it like a tiny blizzard. The elves told me that the crystals, combined with the pure heart's intention, can create miracles. I don't know what that means, but my hope is that Christopher might give it a shake one day. I'll see what I can do, Nicklaus, said Albert, smiling down at the little snow globe. Mr. Nicholas, we should be going. Lots of houses still to visit. Twinkie's voice called from behind. Right. I said under my breath. I looked up at Albert and our eyes met. Thank you, Albert, for everything. You were always so kind to me. I said, fighting back tears. I always hoped my kindness would rub off on you, and it appears as though it has. I am proud of you, Master Nicklaus. I always believed you would do special things, and now I can rest easy knowing that you are. Bravo. Now, you'd better go. It sounds like you have work to do. Happy Give Day, Albert. I said, Happy Give Day, the third of many. I quickly hugged him and hurried off towards the sleigh. As I did, tears streamed down my cheeks. That was the last time I ever saw Albert. Somehow in that single night, we were able to deliver toys to hundreds of thousands of houses all over the world, and it only took a few hours. When we returned to the North Pole in the wee hours of the morning, we were greeted with cheers of enthusiasm from all the elves who'd stayed behind. We told them all about our adventures over a big mug of hot chocolate and some delicious chocolate chip cookies. We talked and laughed and munched until, all of a sudden, the most incredible thing happened. Twinkie ran in from the room where the spiritometer lived, yelling, It's working! It's working! We all hurried to the room and crammed inside. Right before our eyes, the beautiful liquid light was climbing higher and higher inside the glass tube. We all cheered. It felt like my heart was going to explode with joy. I was so happy to know that there were people all over the world who were waking up to find the assortment of gifts we left for them. On the package of each gift, we had written the words, The greatest joy in life is to give. The spiritometer climbed to almost three quarters full that day. It was the highest it had been. The elves told me for more than 38 years. Let's do it again next year! I declared excitedly. Hooray! Called all the elves and reindeer. And that's exactly what we did. Every year we gave a little more, and every year the spiritometer filled a little fuller with that beautiful blue white liquid light. Word got out, and elves from all over the world began showing up who were eager to contribute to the cause. And before long, People everywhere began joining in the festivities by contributing their own gifts. December 25th, which came to be known as Give Day, quickly became an excuse for people to go out of their way to bring joy to each other. It was extraordinary. Each year leading up to it, people would ask themselves, what can I give this year for Give Day? Some people, that is. My cousin Christopher was another story. You see... He eventually grew up and took over his parents' business, Kringle Incorporated. And it seemed the snow globe hadn't worked. Christopher was, like his parents, more interested in money and wealth than anything else. And he was an industrious man of business. The growing interest in so-called gift day did not go unnoticed to him. 
but rather than seeing it as an opportunity to give, he recognised that he could use it to get. And his plan was simple. Instead of asking people, how will you spread joy on December 25th? He would plant the question, what do you want to get on December 25th? First, they took the rumour that was going around, a ridiculous rumour that a certain jolly Saint Nick delivered toys made by elves in the flying sleigh year, and they turned it on its head. They decided to change this character's name to Santa Claus. It seemed more relatable, and this Santa Claus became the poster child for Kringle Incorporated. Then, they put innocent pictures of a big jolly man in a red coat and newspapers everywhere, spreading the word that Santa Claus was coming to town and asking children what they wanted to get from him. Next to these images, they posted sneaky advertisements for toys that they were hoping to sell. Finally, and this was a real masterstroke, they changed the name of Gift Day. My cousin was so self-interested that he started printing a new name for December 25th everywhere. Christmas. Yes, he named it after himself. It was his day to make lots and lots of money selling to the masses, so he figured it ought to be named after himself. My team and I at the North Pole didn't think it was too big a deal at first, but as the years went by, Give Day or Christmas began to lose its magic. It became about getting presents rather than giving meaningful gifts and spreading joy and the spiritometer reflected this change. As people became more and more self-consumed by getting things rather than giving, the energy of joy, generosity and goodwill slowly diminished. When that diminishes on planet Earth, so does the magic. Without the magic, we can't fly our sleighs and bring joy to the world. And well, that's where we are now. And as I said earlier, we're in a bit of a pickle. You see, My cousin had kids of his own. Their kids had kids, and their kids had kids, and so on. The seventh generational son in my cousin's lineage, Christopher Kringle VII, is who runs Kringle Inc. these days. He has been more aggressive in his goals to grow the family business than any of the Kringles who came before him. In fact, he has worked so hard that according to a letter we recently received from his young son, Christopher VIII, Mr. Kringle is ill, very ill indeed. So ill, in fact, that he's teetering on the edge of life and death. In the letter, his son tells us that Mr. Kringle has, in light of his current circumstances, begun to regret the way he's lived his life and longs for another chance, a chance to do things differently. The elf elders who are skilled in reading the magic of the spiritometer have confirmed that Mr. Kringle has seen the error of his ways His heart, they tell me, is emanating a deepest remorse and a profound longing to create joy instead of profit and to give instead of get. As the imminence of his own death approaches, he is wishing he could change the course of Kringle Incorporated forever. And more than anything, he wishes he could spend more time with his son. So this is where you come in, children. This is where we need your help, if you're willing. The elves, reindeer and I believe that if we can harness enough magic to fly to the mansion where Mr. Kringle lives, we might be able to help him heal his illness by helping him heal this pattern in my family's lineage. And if we can help him heal, 
he can change the course of Kringle Incorporated forever. And, well, as funny as it may sound, that could well save Christmas. Do you remember what the Elder Elves were doing earlier in my story? They were radiating joy out into the world while sitting with their eyes closed. This is what we would like to ask you to do now too. You children are all masters at this, so I think now that I have your attention, it should be easy. If you're ready, get into a comfortable position, close your eyes and connect to your heart. Think of someone you know who you like to send some joy to. Think of them and imagine you could fill their whole heart with joy. Imagine what kind of things you could do for this person to make their lives more joyful. Imagine a look on their faces as they light up with this joy. Imagine how you would feel sharing this joy with them. Nicholas! Nicholas, it's working! It's working! The spiritometer is glowing! That's wonderful, Gruff. Keep going, children. Imagine that you could send the same joy to the whole world. Imagine this joyful energy expressing through you in everything you think, say, and do. Picture in your mind and heart the feeling of joy you will feel inside yourself by bringing joy to others. Imagine that joy bubbling out from your heart and spreading to children all over the world. Can you hear their giggles and laughter? Listen closely. I don't believe this. The liquid in the spirit armor is filling up and glowing brighter and brighter. It's working. It's really working. That's wonderful, Gruff. Now, children, imagine that light of joy spreading into all of the adults awakening them from their stressful slumbers. See those adults reconnecting with the inner child they once were. Imagine them feeling that childlike joy bubbling to the surface of their skin and infecting them with enormous smiles. See them smiling so big that they can't help but laugh out loud. Nicholas, it worked! We can go! We have enough magic to get to Kris Kringle's home if you would like to pay him a visit. That is wonderful news. What do you say, children? Would you like to come along for a ride in Santa's sleigh? Yay! Well, let's go then. Here's your suit, Nicholas. Stay warm tonight. Thank you, Twinkle Toes. Nicholas, the reindeer are ready to fly. Wonderful, Snooper. We're on our way. I just need to have a nibble on this cookie before we go. Oh, delicious, delicious. All right, let's get moving. Ah, oh, good evening, Dasher and Dancer. Hello, Prancer and Vixen. Lovely to see you, Comet and Cupid. Are you ready for an adventure, Donner and Blitzen? <laughs> we sure are, Nick. We just hope we have enough magic to get us airborne. Yes, well, I think we have a solution. There are children all over the world listening right now, and they're focusing their thoughts and feelings on radiating joy out into the world. We're seeing the spiritometer rise by the minute. I'm hopeful that there will be enough magic to get us to my cousins, but we will find out soon, won't we? <coughs> We are good to go, Nicholas. We only have enough magic for you and I to travel tonight. 
and we better get a move on. It seems time is running out for your cousin, Chris. Very well, climb aboard. On Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen. On Comet, on Cupid, on Donner, on Blitzen. Ho, ho, ho! Things are looking good, Nicholas. The city you grew up in is right down below. Yes, I recognize this. We're getting close. Prepare for landing, team. You got it, boss! You know I don't like it when you call me that, Blitzen. Preparing for landing, Nicholas! Hold on to your hats! Ho, ho, ho! <sighs> Are you ready, Nicholas? Yes, I suppose I am. I just hope this works. Wait here with the reindeer gruff. The sun is going to be up soon, and you may need to hide the sleigh if I am gone long. <clears throat> Sansa? Hello, Christopher. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you too, Sansa. Did you get my letter? I did, and it is the reason for my special visit today. That was a very thoughtful gift you asked for, young Christopher. Do you think you can help my papa heal? So we can spend more time together. I'm going to do everything in my power, young Christopher. May I go see him? He's right through here. Thank you. Hello, Chris Kringle. What? Santa Claus? Is this some kind of joke? My name is Nikolaus, actually. Santa Claus is a name your family gave me long ago as a way to sell more toys to the children. And sadly, no, Christopher, this is not a joke. I'm here because your caring son wrote me a letter and told me of your health. It seems you worked yourself too hard and have forgotten to play along the way. Yes, regretfully you are right. My parents taught me that the only thing that matters is selling more toys and making more money. So that's what I've tried to do my entire life. But now, with death so close, I only wish I had realized sooner what is actually important. I wish I had done things differently than my parents and used my influence with Kringle Incorporated to spread more joy to the world rather than make more money. And I wish I had spent more time with my beautiful son. Oh, if only I had another chance. I would do things so differently if I did. Well, I'm here to hopefully offer you that second chance so that you can create a different future for Kringle Incorporated, for your son, Christopher, and perhaps for the whole world. There are children everywhere right now who are going to help me focus on creating a Christmas miracle. Are you ready, children? Yay! I, I don't understand. Just relax your eyes, Chris. Relax your breathing. Put your hands over your heart and let the true spirit of Christmas or rather the true spirit of giving, flowing to you. Children, let's go to work. First, feel yourself radiating that same joy. Imagine it surrounding Chris and filling his body with light. Feel that energy come into your body, Chris. Let yourself relax and receive it. My chest, my chest feels 
all warm inside. I, I think something's happening. Good. Now, children, imagine spreading that light to all the other angry, grouchy, greedy, sad, lonely, sick or scared people out there around the world. Everybody needs this joy right now. Imagine that same joyful energy filling each of them up. Now imagine that joy spreading down into the earth, through the roots of the trees and lighting up the entire planet, so that each, every human feels its warmth spreading up through their feet, legs, body and hearts and minds. Now feel that light inside of you. It has always been there. The more you focus on giving joy, love and gratitude to others, the brighter and more powerful that light becomes. We're making progress. Beautiful work, children. Keep it going. What's this now? It is a snow globe. It's been in my family for over 150 years. It's one of our most cherished heirlooms. <laughs> yes, I thought it looked familiar. It's your lucky day, Mr. Kringle. What? Why? It's just a toy. Why don't you take this toy in your hands? Yes, that's right, in both hands. And now, Mr. Kringle, imagine the life you want to live. Imagine the gifts you want to give to your son and to the world. Focus all of your energy on the wish for that life. Now give it a shake as you do that. What's happening? The snowflakes are glowing. Papa? What is happening? Why is the snow globe glowing? Are you feeling better? The elves warned me this might happen. I can feel warmth in my heart. It's spreading everywhere. Good. Feel that. Imagine, Chris, what your new life will look like as you regain your energy. Are you healed, Papa? I'm, uh, I'm not entirely sure, but, uh, but I feel different. My, my breath, my breath is back and... I feel light, and I feel... Wow. I think I'm healed. Papa, you're healed! Christopher, listen to me. I promise you, I am going to spend every opportunity I can playing with you. I am going to change my schedule and prioritize my life to be with you. You are the most important thing in the world to me. Can we go sledding together? Yes. Then ice skating. Yes. Then build a snow fort, drink hot chocolate inside of it, and then have a bonfire under the stars and eat s'mores for dinner. Yes, yes and more yeses. Goody, I'll put my snowsuit on right now. <laughs> it seems our work here is done, cousin. I can feel the spirit of giving returning. Thank you. I'm not sure what happens tonight, but I feel so alive. I promise I... Wait, did you just call me your cousin, Santa? Maybe, but that's a very long story that we'll have to say for another time, because you have a young son who's been waiting a very long time to play with you. And we need to be heading back to the North Pole so we can prepare for Christmas in the coming days. Did you hear that, children? You saved Christmas! Thank you for the joy you bring to this world. It is the greatest gift we have to share with others. Remember that. But cousins, we're cousins. <laughs> Indeed we are family, all of us. We're one big family of humans, animals, elves, reindeer, plants and every creature. 
Now we must be going, but the owls and I will check in on you to make sure you're staying true to your heart and word. Thank you, Santa. I mean, Niklaus. I don't know how I will ever repay you. One good deed at a time, Chris. One good deed at a time. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, St. Nick. I'm ready, Papa. On Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donna, on Blitzen. Ho, ho, ho. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's Magic Kids Story, Joy to the World, the untold story of Old Saint Nick, written by Bradley T. Morris and Albert Strasser. If you love the story and want to help us raise the spiritometer on planet Earth, then please leave us a review and share a link to the story with all your favorite people. Let's join together and spread joy to the world this Christmas season. And if you want more stories from us, then go check us out at magickids.com. That's M-A-J-I-K, kids. Thanks for tuning in, and you'll hear us next time. Wait, don't go yet. Remember to subscribe to the Magic Kids Club, which is access to our magical coloring books, games, activities, and more at magickids.com. That's M-A-J-I-K kids.com. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs>